Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. Com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Christian J. Collier from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He has a new book, The Gleaming of the Blade, that we'll be talking about, he'll be reading from. And he is a poet, musician, educator, and he has some experience with spoken word performance. And a few years back, he even released an EP and uh, it combined poetry and spoken word. And that was just a few years back. And uh, actually later there will be a virtual launch for the book on February 24th. We'll mention that at the end of the show. But right now we're gonna get right to you, Christian. And browsing around your website, I noticed something a while ago, you gave a talk, which was the Harlem Renaissance, civil rights and beyond. And I thought, well, that's kind of a big topic, but it lets us be kind of artsy and socially relevant at the same time. So I thought I'd ask you what you had to say about just what do you say about that? <laughs> uh, I, I have many things to say about that. <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, I am the the product of, of so many um, so many fascinating hands and, and minds, you know, and um, I always think that. Well, especially now, and I think that that's always kind of been the case, though, is there's there's always kind of a, a, a responsibility to get certain things right, you know, especially if we're talking about the, the struggle and the struggle uh, of, of black people in America. And really, that is one of America's struggles, period, you know, because race is one of those those things that kind of connects to everything and to everyone, you know, regardless if, if you want to acknowledge it or not, you know, um, it's, it's imprints are on everything. And I, I think that there's a, a certain responsibility to be able to, you know, see things for what they are, name them for what they are. And then maybe we can, you know, if we get in the arena of that, maybe we can get into the arena of having a conversation about how to, you know, work some of, work through some of these issues and, and how to, you know, effectively change the world for the better. No argument there. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you personally connect very strongly with any particular uh, Renaissance poets, Harlem Renaissance poets? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, my, my lineage is, is pretty strong. And um, I think all of us in some way, shape or form. And I know that Jericho Brown has, has talked about this a lot, but but Langston mm -hmm. Hughes is always one of those those people. And um 
I just love because Langston is, is really an interesting figure because even outside of, of just what he did with, with rhyme and, and actually talking about, you know, black issues. Um, but, but Langston kind of straddles that line because he's looked at as a jazz poet, but also Langston has, um, kind of another life in terms of, uh, of beatnik culture too, you know, like there's a, there used to be this this beatnik compilation um, that would come out, and I think they did like four or five different uh, volumes of it. And but uh, Langston Hughes is on a couple of those things, and I was like, man, that's really kind of crazy, you know, because we never, the vast majority of us never really think about that, you know. So I thought that that was really neat, and uh, I consider myself to be uh, a jazz poet. Uh, when I first started writing. Um, Miles Davis was very much in the room with me. Um, I would listen to like the same two or three uh, records by him while I was writing. And uh, I think that that really kind of sharpened my, my ear and, and what I'm going for in a musical capacity uh, in my work. Um, so Langston is, is definitely at, at the pinnacle, but you know, there, there's so many people who, who yeah. I feel like I am following in their, their steps and in their path. Yeah, you said Kumanyaka was an early uh, influence. One of your, I guess, first things you looked at in depth or repeatedly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and he's so good. Okay, and and still is he? Uh, you yeah. know, we're, 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 we both hail from uh, Louisiana, so that that's another uh, cultural connection we share. Oh, all right. Well, you know, you actually you got me curious. Um, let's let's get to a poem because. You mentioned music, and uh, I've been reading your book during the last week, but I don't know how you do the poems. So I'm curious to hear one, whatever one you want. Uh, this is called Benediction for the Black and Young. Children, we occupy a world not made to carry any of us. Find the slivers of calm in the ash-filled air. Breathe. Do you feel the atoms coming apart around the garlic white brims of our halos? We are living through a time that took touch from us, wading through the stubble of the burning night, finessing our feet forward as best we can. Let us pray there is a just God at the end of all this. Let us pray he sees the columns of our dead on the sour buds of the street, then stirs and says, enough. Let us pray the liquor that drags us from the bed of one day and into the next does not run out. Pray the Hennessy and crown stays put. Pray we can also do the same, sane and intact. Let us lay down our blues and not cross the threshold of another morning howling for those we could not see buried. Let us pray for the favor of the big sky for burgundy wings no longer tucked beneath our shoulders and a sheaf below the twitch of the stars. Let us bow our heads and dream a life that loves us better. May it be gold-hued. May our minds sculpt a love supreme that also holds our newborn ghosts. Let us whisper, because history says whenever someone black wonders aloud about the future and instantly becomes a bruised sea of days they will never know. Children, if we are only meant to forfeit all that has ever known our names, let us fraternize with the condors who will come to escort us away. Let the stomp of our forelimbs be the last bit of grace we grant this earth. <laughs> 
then let us rest well. Let us be. What were your circumstances for writing that poem? So let me think back. Um, I, that poem, that poem came about early into the, the pandemic. Um, I, um, my writing process changed back in, in 2019. I don't really write in a, in a linear fashion anymore. Um, and I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with uh, the artist Mark Bradford at all. Um, oh, he's, he's fantastic. Um, but I got really big into to Mark's work and, and Mark's process. And um, Mark works in a way where he, he builds up these, these really elaborate things and then he uses um, like pressure washers and, and power tools and everything. And he kind of tears them down and he rebuilds them. And so at the end, you get these really beautiful textured things, right? And um, his whole thing is I want to, I want to strip away these things because we, we get different layers and, and you get things that, you know, kind of surprise you along the way. And seeing that it just like the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, wait, all, all text is malleable. You know, like I will, I will take a poem that I'm working on, or you know, I'll take a poem that's already been out there for a while, and I'll, I'll gut it, I'll, I'll remix it, I'll, I'll do all these different things, mm. and um, I'm not that attached to it just appearing in in one format. I feel like there are kind of other avenues to to you know move along, and um, so I'm just really interested in accumulating interesting text, and then invariably I'll start you know moving things around and just seeing what happens when you put this next to that. And because as, as human beings, we're so hardwired for, for narrative that if I were to take, if I were to take the, um, my, my coffee creamer and, and take it outside and put it next to a, a rock and just leave it, somebody's going to walk by and be like, boy, I wonder what the story is with this. Right. So you're, you're building these interesting connections to things. And, um, so I'll, at the time, and I'm, I'm a part of this um, this open mic where at the end we, we get list words. So there would be like 10 words or, or categories for us to, to kind of work with. And uh, so I was just punching things in with that. And, and then, you know, the world always finds a way to enter into the work, even if we're, we're conscious of it or not. So the pandemic kind of stepped in and... and um, spirituality really kind of also weaves through its way through my work. And, and that's something that I never would have thought about, you know, three, four years ago. So all of those things kind of got in the pressure cooker and, you know, that's, that's the poem that came out. Well, it sounds like, um, can I call what you're doing radical reconstruction? It's not like, it seems like it's not revision. That just seems like moving things around a little bit, but you're almost exploding the original and putting the pieces back together. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and that's not to say that, you know, revision doesn't take place. You know, I, I my, my goal is I want, I want to operate as much in a, uh, a brain off instinct on state for as long as I can before mm-hmm. I allow my internal editor into the room. He's, he's not welcome, uh, but for a good bit of this process. And then, you know, he, he can come in and clean things up, but oh, okay while we're we're banging it out he's he's not welcome into the room okay got it okay well here here's something for you I'm, i was looking at my notes in the table of contents where i do this and uh you you write about things that i at least have not seen written about 
Um, specifically in the poem, here's, here's actually two of them, kind of the same idea relating to a woman. When she asks what I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. touch. And I, th- I think that's pretty interesting because I haven't seen anybody write about that from you know the black male perspective. What's it like to live that? Yeah, I um, I wanted, and I think that this is something that I'm I'm kind of always going for in my work, and um, I I always look at it like I am uh, a movie director, and I'm I'm behind the camera, and I'm crafting the shot for you, and um, I want if you're on the other on the other side of the poem, I want you to feel as close to what's going on as possible. You know, I, I want you to to feel the wind. I want you to, if if we're we're in the weeds with with tension, I want you to feel that. Mm-hmm. And um, so those poems kind of allowed me to to navigate a, a vulnerable place um, in, in terms of intimacy um, and and the lack thereof. And you know, all throughout the the book, I feel like I'm I'm navigating uh, that relationship between how. Uh, being in a, in a black body, you are seen. And on the other side of that, how you're not seen. Um, the, the links people will go to not to see you. And I feel like I'm kind of toggling back and forth, you know, between those. Yeah. And um, that allowed me another door to kind of walk through in terms of, of framing the shot for, for the audience. And, you know, um, I wanted to get at the things that that happen and, and you know, they, they happen all the time, you know, but um, yeah. but we don't necessarily talk about those things. And I thought that that was really interesting and mm-hmm. um, a, a good way to kind of enter into presenting a different angle. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's a really good idea. You know, I think I mean, I think it's effective and it's just really interesting to come upon it in the book and go, whoa. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll get some insight here. I mean, what, what's better than getting an insight, huh? Yeah. So there's also the one about the birthday party. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have the same idea where uh, her dad didn't like it that you were there. You want to read any of those? Sure. Your choice. Absolutely. This is called Candace. And uh, it starts with an epigraph by Annie Leibovitz. One doesn't stop seeing... One doesn't stop framing. It doesn't turn off and turn on. It's on all the time. Distance and time are the midwives of acceptance. We made our peace quietly with who we were all those years ago. We were vulnerable, thin ice just learning the true weight of our care for one another. When we both understood, I had the heart to love you, just not the skin. Life is what hands us our ghosts, and like anyone who has not yet died, I am haunted country. A field of blood polluted by what I have lived beyond flows behind my breast. You never knew. I used to clasp my hands and pray for God to grant me a different world to week to, where I could have you without secret or consequence. This same sad earth was the only one that desired anything to do with me. I have never had far to reach to recall the word nigger lurching from your father or your eyes in the wave of the dark 
the night you asked me to leave your 17th birthday party so your parents wouldn't know I had come to celebrate. Those memories are carved atop the faded blue crowns of my veins, the wounds I've grown to bear, the wounds that won't leave. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for reading that. Thank you. Yeah. Have you, have you been out reading these poems while the book was in progress? Or I have. Um, just curious. Yeah, some of the, I mean the 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 oldest oldest poem in, in, in the collection goes back to uh, two thousand six. And granted it was in a it's in a much different shape now, but yeah. all along all along the, the, the way, um, I really started seriously writing towards the collection in twenty fifteen. So since then I've I've been you know, taking them out and seeing how they sound and then coming home and tearing them apart again and taking them back out. So that's a big part of, uh, of my process. And, uh, and I guess even through the, the, the pandemic, you know, so much of, of um, my life has, and I think all of our lives really can, has kind of uh, revolved around Zoom. And, and I'm glad that it's, right. it's there for us because it's, it's a way to not just stay connected um, and to kind of have, you know, some semblance of, of normalcy, right? But yeah. also it's a way to still be in, in community and, and kind of hit those those marks. Uh, uh, so that's provided a, a wonderful avenue to still, you know, do to do and, and work through the, the poems. Yeah. Now you, you, uh, you also have uh, more, okay, the personal poem like that, the personal experience poem. Uh, then there's the poems like... Um, the one the word toward the back of the book there's a couple i think that have to do with gun violence mm -hmm. or maybe it's police or both uh you want, want to say something about that and maybe read one of those sure absolutely yeah i um let me back up uh terrence hayes once said that you know there's there's really six ways of, of looking at any one thing and um hmm. You know, it's just a matter of you kind of like turning it, turning it around and, and you know, you get something else. And um, I think that that's kind of the way that I work, because even though, you know, if we're talking about intimacy, there are so many different ways to look at intimacy. If we're, we're talking about the violence that happens to uh, to black people, there's so many different ways that 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 happens. You know, obviously there's there's physical brutality, but there's also uh, micro and macro aggressions and, and what happens behind the scenes and, and all of that. So I'm really kind of interested in, in interrogating the different aspects of these things. And, um, obviously if you have been in, you know, America since 2015, you've really been, and I guess, and really before that, it, it's, it has not left the, uh, the national consciousness about, Black people who have been gunned down, be that by um, police or, or people who feel like they are in a, some sort of authority in, in terms of, of mm. where black people can go. Uh, so I'm, I've been interested in just kind of speaking about that because that is something that is always fresh on my mind. You know, my uh, my nephew now um, is on the cusp of being 12 years old, but he's been doing active shooting drills at his school for years. You know, and that's something that I never grew up with. And, and that's yeah. that's crazy to me. So um, I'm always thinking about these things. And I think that anytime you hear about in uh, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, or uh, a Sandra Bland, you're always 
thinking about how that could be you or somebody that you love who looks like you. Um, so that that gave me a little bit of space to kind of walk into and you know explore a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, I will uh, I'll read one of those. This is the quiet storm. The officer's gun still awakens me. 15 years after the night, his index finger became a cedar ring around the trigger. Anytime I close my eyes, the muscles round cavity is trained on me. Anytime rest takes hold, my mind expects the bullet, the sharp burst of light and noise. Because it does not come, I live within a wound no one else can see. Trauma builds its monsters from the bones of experience. Blood records and remembers everything it survives. What did not kill me, I now belong to. What has allowed more time to pass through me, I am possessed by. What owns me, an ebony Glock 22 and a man's featureless face shouting behind a brass badge. My almost murderers breathe inside me. I hear grit rustling in their throats at all times. Some songs never sleep. Some songs never sleep. I hear grit rustling in their throats at all times. Inside me, my almost murderers breathe behind a brass badge. An ebony Glock 22 and a man's featureless face shouting, I am possessed by. What owns me, I now belong to. What has allowed more time to pass through me, what did not kill me, records and remembers everything it survives. From the bones of experience, blood builds its monsters within a wound no one else can see. Trauma. I live because it does not come. Anytime rest takes hold, my mind expects the bullet, the sharp burst of light and noise. Anytime I close my eyes, the muscles round cavity is trained on me. His index finger became a cedar ring around the trigger. 15 years after the night, the officer's gun still awakens me. Mm, that's really vivid. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the bullet. Oh, man. Let me ask you something. It's just shifting gears here. You uh, you do workshops and things like that sometimes, right? You lead workshops and stuff like yes, that. Yes, sir, I do. Yeah. Well, what's one of the, I always like to ask people this. What kind of a, what a big message to your people in a workshop about how to write poetry? <laughs> I, I have I have so many. Um, <laughs> well, I think um, I once heard it said that that regardless of how much you love poetry, you're always whenever you're reading a poem, you're always looking for a reason to stop reading the poem. <laughs> like if you're reading, you're like, oh, there's the cliche. It, it takes you out of the poem, or you know, there, there's always something there. So. My challenge uh, to the people who workshop with me is, and, and myself, actually, is that how are we how are we making interesting things happen all the time? Um, for, from my perspective, if you come across one of my poems, I want you to be engaged at all times. And um, we have different tools at our disposal to, to make that happen. But, but how are we going to keep uh, the, the audience? Who are, how are we going to keep whoever's on the other end of the poem? engaged throughout it. Um, so I think that's always the thing. And how can we use each person's individual strengths and gifts and amplify them in order to to make that happen? Yeah, it's, it, 
which reminds me of, I think this is from Billy Collins, who makes a big deal out of a poem should be inviting. Well, this is saying, keep that going through the whole poem, is what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. This, this statement, whoever it's from, emphasizes the opening. It says, you know, don't do some dreary thing or some tedious thing. Make the thing inviting. Uh, and, and I think what you're saying is keep it inviting. Absolutely. Like what's happening next? Yeah. What's going to happen next? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, because these things are kind of like, like conversations to a certain degree, but also I, if, if I can liken it to something else, you know, if you, if you go back and look at Richard Pryor do, do stand up, right. Mm -hmm. Richard Pryor is telling jokes in a longer fashion than most people working now. And I think that there, there are different reasons for that. I, you know, I could argue that the attention span of the, the regular person is probably, you know, sure. dropped. Yeah. yeah. But um, so if, if Richard Pryor is telling you a joke that takes eight to 10 minutes to tell, how is he keeping you engrossed in it? There are different shifts there. Maybe there's different voices there. There's, you know, maybe some physical comedy. So he's utilizing different tools to keep you engaged until we get to the punchline. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really kind of what we are looking to do. Um, if, you know, regardless if we're, we're conscious of it or not, we, we get, we're using different tools, be it the form, the container, we're using, you know, figurative language, what have you, in order to kind of keep that thing sustained mm -hmm. uh, for, for the payoff that we're hoping we'll, we'll, you know, find somebody. I always think sort of that way when I think about line breaks that, you know, it's nice to give the reader a little surprise when they get to that next line. Oh, absolutely. So, so if you can break the line where you have that opportunity and what's coming next is unknown and you can surprise them a little bit, that's a little treat, you know, that's good. <laughs> absolutely. I, I totally agree. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to say about life or poetry here? We're about done here. It's been <laughs> really good. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Um, aside from... Uh... You know, 2022 has a, a great slew of books coming out and, and people should read as much as they can. Um, I think that that's one great way to not only reward yourself, but um, a way to kind of keep those uh, those fires burning, you know, and get, get you new, new voices into the mix. And I think that we're all the better for it. And as I mentioned, you have a virtual launch for your book on February 24. Say your website address where people can get info about that and get the link. Absolutely. So my website is christianjcollier.com. That's kind of the, the hub for, for all the things. But um, And actually, at the very top of it, it has my link tree, which will connect you to some other things. There's a, a Spotify playlist for the chat book. So if you want to get like a little bit of a, a deeper experience with it, you can do that and um, some, some other interviews and things like that. And if you want signed copies of the book, you can contact me through there too. And I'll, I'll walk you through how to make that happen. Sounds great. Okay. Well, Christian, thanks a lot. I've really, really enjoyable talking to you and hearing your ideas and your poetry. Well, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. And as I mentioned, Christian J. Collier, our feature today from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. 
Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.